Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. morning. Good morning. Welcome back, orchestra. We're so glad to have you all with us today. Always one. Yes, we can clap for the orchestra. That's wonderful. We're glad y'all are with us. Thank you all for braving the uh, the wet and somewhat cold after a a cold week. We have uh, really had a lot of uh, sickness, flu, COVID, any of those this week. And so we want to remember those who are under the weather this week. And hopefully many of them are joining us online. We're glad you all are with us. Let me pray for us as we enter into this time of worship today. God, we do thank you for this privilege of worship. We thank you for time and space in busy lives, busy weeks, to breathe deeply, to remember that you are God and we are not. And that if we are children of God, there is a claim on our lives. God, we ask that you assert that claim yet again this week, that you are Lord of our life and remind us of the power of that the responsibility of following that. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. We are continuing our second of three weeks in this kind of small series we're calling Incarnation in Action. We spent Advent and December looking forward to the incarnation and and anticipating Messiah coming. Now we spend a few weeks in these these odd weeks in the Christian calendar between Christmas and Easter uh, looking at incarnation in action. What did Jesus come to do? What were the effects of that? And we're doing that. We do this really every week. This is what we do here in church is talk about incarnation and action. But these three weeks, we're looking at three uh, verses where Jesus specifically said, I have come for something. So last week was, I have come not to be served, but to serve. And we talked about this uh, posture of service that we are to have to the world, that first and foremost, as followers of Christ, we don't look for our needs to be met, for our rights in this world. We adopt the posture of Jesus that is to serve the world. And we move this week from Mark to Luke in Luke 19, uh, 1 through 10 is where we're going to be today, if you want to follow along with us. And just like last week, this is near the last week of Jesus' life, uh, just in Luke's gospel, not Mark. The This story that we're going to tell today is only found in Luke's gospel, not found in the other three gospels. At the end of 18, just like the end of our, our chapter last week, Jesus heals a blind man uh, in Mark. uh, named Bartimaeus, not named in Luke. And and then Jesus takes a little detour and kind of detours through Jericho, just slightly out of the way from the most direct way they're going to Jerusalem. And he goes to eat... he travels through Jericho. We know the story. I'm going to tell the story in more fullness in a minute. He goes to eat with Zacchaeus. We know that story. Many of us grew up singing the song. You're going to be asked to sing part of that song later. So hang in there with me. Look forward to that. And somewhere in and around this encounter with Zacchaeus, 
he pronounces in verse 10 at the end, today, salvation has come to your house. For you also are a son of Abraham. The son of man has come seeking and saving the lost. Or the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. You know, every word in that sentence is worth a sermon, is worth diving down on. The son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. You know, the last let's just say 150 years, maybe a little bit more. The language of the lost has become pretty common in church. We, we talk about that, particularly maybe uh, a couple decades ago. We may not use this phrase quite as much today, but it's become widely used. They used to describe if you didn't grow up in church or kind of new to church or it's a new phrase to you, the lost generally described in, in our usage as uh, a spiritual state of someone who does not know Jesus. I once was lost, but now am found. But interestingly, lost is not a common biblical word. It's in really, really rarely used. We have two locations, basically two chapters, all of which are in Luke. We have it used here. Jesus brings it up in importance as he said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And then in Luke 15, we have this series of three uh, parables. We have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son or, or the prodigal son where, where lost is used in the titles of these. But this is not a term commonly used in scripture. But here it is. I have come to seek and to save the lost. Interestingly, Although we have expanded the usage of the term, we, we use it a lot in church today to talk about seeking the lost, finding the lost, the lost becoming saved. As we have used it more, we have also narrowed the, the usage, the definition of this word lost. We often use it in a more limited way than Jesus seems to use it in these limited times that he uses it. Well, one hears the term in church today or in the last 150 or so years, almost exclusively in terms of, of conversion version or of, of preserving a soul for heaven is one definition I found this week that seems to track, at least with my experience, to save someone as lost is to preserve, preserve their soul for heaven. But what happens in Zacchaeus is conversion, to be sure, but it's wider, it's deeper. It's more, it's not just in an individual sense. If Zacchaeus was lost, when he is found, it has wide reaching implications really for a lot of different people in Jericho. This isn't just a, a finding, a saving that is for Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus alone. As we look here at this well-known story, it affects his household. It's got social and economic dimensions and implications as he restores what has been taken unjustly and then also gives generously to the poor. The whole life, the whole life is affected by Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost. It's a, a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven come down among us. It, it reminds us that in other verses, saved, saved is translated as healing. It's translating as, as making whole. It's translating as restored. It has this wider implication. So let's look at this text together here in Luke 19 this morning. Excuse me. 
<clears throat> excuse me, still battling the congestion that a lot of us are battling as we hear the coughs and the sniffles uh, around this morning. But I'm not contagious, I promise. If you grew up in church, particularly if you're about, I don't know, let's just say 35 and older, it's likely you grew up singing this song about Zacchaeus. And that, if we're honest, we know more about the story of Zacchaeus from the song than we do probably the actual story and the text itself. Um, we know a couple things about Zacchaeus um, as we get into this uh, this passage today. This is a story that only appears in Luke's gospel. It doesn't appear in the other three. Like last week, Jesus, as I said, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, on the way to the last week of his life. He goes, detours through Jericho, and the narrator of Luke introduces to this man named Zacchaeus. And we're told two things about him immediately. One, uh, that he was the chief tax collector. So not just a tax collector, but the chief tax collector, which would have been for the region, and that he was second, that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. So we can infer and educatedly guess quite a bit about Zacchaeus based on these two things. Later on, we're told he's a son of Abraham. And so based on these slim biographical details, we make a few educated guesses. First, Zacchaeus was likely not a popular man. He's a son of Abraham, meaning he's a son of God. He, he is Jewish and he is the chief tax collector. And so you, you have a Roman oppressor of the Jewish people. That's how they would have seen that. And here you have one of their own, not just taking a good job in the government or not just being forced to do something that Rome wanted them to do, but absolutely capitulating with the oppressive state. He, he got a job, he got education, and then he rose within the ranks to be chief tax collector of a whole region. Tax collectors then and now are never popular people, are they? It's a tough job that people have. Even when you're doing it fairly and honestly, it is a tough job, not the most popular. But in this role, he, the chief tax collector and those above him, were given a levy, a tax from Rome, and they had to provide that from Rome, however, however they went about that. That didn't say that's what they had to charge the people. They could add their own, you know, on top of that, their own skim, so to speak, that covered their costs, that enriched them. And, and so it was made to be a corrupt and corruptible system. And so we make some inferences to Zacchaeus. There's actually nothing that says he is a cheater or, or he is an evil man or has done thing. But at the absolute least, he was a, a son, he was a person of God, one of the people of God who was complicit in an oppressive system. And, and this is good for us today. There's no righteousness separate from our complicity in evil systems. Right? We don't get to comply and go along with the world that are oppressing people, hurting people, causing evil in the world, and have a righteousness separate from that. At the absolute least, he was complicit in an, impress in a, an oppressive and evil system that he participated in, and that says something, at least, about Zacchaeus. We're also told 
perhaps a bit insensitively in the song, that he is a wee little man. That's not maybe why we don't sing it. Maybe our kids don't know that as much. Probably a good job not singing it exactly those language. But he is a man, the ESV is a lot more kind. He is a man short of stature, which some of us can relate to. When your children's minister is taller than you, I don't think you're really seen as tall. And maybe most importantly for the story, whoever Zacchaeus was, whatever he had done, whatever his job, something within him wanted to know who Jesus was. We don't know what he knew about Jesus. We don't know the circumstances that led to this desire, this burning. It seems like that's within him to see Jesus, not even to visit with him, to see, to know more of what he was about. And yet it it was there. And so we know this story, being short in stature, he can't see over the crowd to even get a glimpse of Jesus. It says something about Jesus too, walking through with crowds around him. And so Zacchaeus' solution is to scramble up a sycamore tree. Sycamores are pretty substantial trees. This isn't an easy thing. And, you know, if there's one thing I know, I think that probably all of us know if, say, we're over the age of, what, 15, 16, somewhere in there? There is no way to be cool and climb quickly up a tree. Thank you, Sarah, for that early laugh. I appreciate that. It's good when your staff laugh at you, you know. I mean, there's no way to scramble up a tree and maintain your dignity after a certain age, is there? Uh, And that's if you have the right clothes and equipment. Zacchaeus was probably wearing some sort of robe, which would have been appropriate, and some sort of sandals that would have been probably fairly slick sold. He wanted to see Jesus so badly. There was a burning in him to get a glimpse at this man that he had served something of that, that lit up a fire in his heart, that he's willing to put dignity aside, willing to put reputation aside, willing to, to look foolish. And even more so in an honor culture in which he lived, it would be foolish enough now if you walk outside afternoon, this afternoon, I'm scrambling up in a tree. Even more so then to get a glimpse of Jesus. That says something about Zacchaeus as well. Jesus, walking through town, comes to the place where Zacchaeus was perched up in that tree. And he looked at him. There's a lot of else going on. The fact that Jesus looked at him is not to be overlooked or made light of in this passage. That is a powerful thing in and of its own self. We'll talk more about Jesus looked at him, notices him, knows his name, and says, sing with me, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. And if you were in like second grade at First Baptist Kennedy, and at the end of that, you said, I'm going to your house to play, it killed. It killed. It was the funniest thing anyone in that class had ever heard if you extended that song just one little bit, let me tell you. Jesus doesn't invite himself. He doesn't ask who you are. He doesn't ask any questions. He says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm coming over to your house today. And, and we don't, really know what happens. There's the the maybe expected grumbling 
Um, perhaps this was a spectacle already of the chief tax collector scrambling up a tree. Now here is this teacher, this rabbi, this somewhat man of mystery and intrigue and wonder coming through town, and he demands to go to the chief tax collector's house. And so a spectacle is multiplied. There's grumbling among the people. Uh, who is he that he's eating with this sinner? Who is he that he's not going to, to the, the synagogue leader, anybody else in this town? He's going to his house? And we don't know whether Zacchaeus's response happened immediately or, or it happened after dinner. We're not giving or after their meeting. We're not giving any details of the gathering itself. But, but he comes back and, and says, Zacchaeus says, I, well, voluntarily he commits to give half of his wealth to the poor. Uh, and anyone that he's defrauded, anyone he's cheated, intentionally or unintentionally, again, the text is a little vague in this, he'll pay back four times what he has taken. If you look back into the law in Leviticus 6, it would have said if you have voluntary restitution, re restore the original amount plus 20%. If it's involuntary, if you're forced to do it, restore the original amount times Two. So here at the most strict reading of the law, he's paying back double or, or perhaps four or five times what he would be required by law and giving half of his wealth to the poor. And Jesus responds, today, today, right now, salvation has come to this house. We see this in the gospels, the the decision of one seems to affect the household. It has wider implications than just the individual. Salvation has come to this house, everyone within it, the family, if there's a family, the, the servants and everyone else that is there, since he is also a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This closing pronouncement by Jesus makes it clear that Jesus' visit in Jericho wasn't a detour, and it wasn't a, a delay on the trip to Jerusalem. His encounter with Zacchaeus was the purpose of this journey. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We see incarnation in action. Everywhere Jesus went, we see this throughout all of the Gospels, where Jesus went, people ended up found. They may not have even known they were lost before, but they ended up found, they ended up healed, they ended up whole, they ended up restored, they ended up all of a sudden on the inside of what God is doing to restore the world instead of the outside looking in. They end up saved in this broad and transformative, well-rounded, whole way. And this is our story, is it not? I mean, it's good to call back to our story of salvation again and again and again in our life and not read Zacchaeus as the other, but to read him as us. We are not Jesus in the story. We are Zacchaeus in the story. There was a time when Jesus came seeking us, looking for us. We were not whole and we found ourselves all of the sudden saved on the inside of what God was doing in the world, made whole. And this is also our call 
as people seeking to serve Jesus in the world today. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Just like that, our call is to embody a posture of service, of open-handed service to the world. Our call as well is to seek those who are lost, to seek those who are hurting, to seek those in need of encouragement, to seek those who, who feel like they're on the outside of the world looking in, to seek those who are far from the ways of God and the work of God and share with them, serve them, be with them, see them in such a way that gives the Holy Spirit room to work. This is our posture to the world as we seek to serve. It is to seek out and save the lost. I've said this in here before that we don't want to be a church in spite of this beautiful facility. We don't want to be a church with that field of dreams theology that we've built it so y'all come and all we really had to do was built it and keep it running and, and those should come in. Praise God we have this place. I hope people come in. That is part of what we do. Yes, it's not the fullness of it. Jesus didn't say, build a nice place and I'll fill it up with people. He said, no, I've come to seek, to go out and make whole those who are hurting in the world. I've come to, to go after the sheep, to go after the coin, to go after the kids who have run away. I've, I've come to go to the furthest ends of the earth if need be, but certainly across the street to our neighbors to heal those in need of healing spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every way in this world. Our call is to seek out those who were lost, those who do not know Jesus and offer wholeness and offer healing to offer Jesus himself to them as salvation. And Jesus teaches through his actions a little bit of how to go about that. We can look at Jesus and his very simple actions in this passage and perhaps learn something about our lives. Because that, that is always the rubber, where the rubber meets the road here in these passages. How do I go and do that? I'm not Jesus. <laughs> I don't have salvation on hand to offer. I can't save anyone. I have limitations. But we can serve like Jesus and offer the Jesus who does have salvation. First, Jesus goes with intention. It doesn't seem like he shows up in Jericho haphazardly or accidentally. He has purpose in his day. You have a way you spend your day. You go places, you go to work, you go to doctors, you, you, you go to the play, you go shopping, you do the things you do in your day. You are able to do that with intention. You are able to do those things prayerfully. You are able to be asking the Holy Spirit throughout your day, God, where do you want to use me today? Who are you putting in, in my, my path today? Who might I bless today? Where are those who are hurting and, and lonely and in need of you today? And how might I be used to offer a word, to offer a hand, to offer something that might give your Holy Spirit room to work? We, we can live with intention that Jesus showed. Two, Jesus saw Zacchaeus. I mean, that's no small thing. If Zacchaeus had to climb up into a tree just to be, just to see Jesus, there had to be a lot going on around Jesus. And, and don't look over the fact Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. 
Jesus has got stuff on his mind. And yet he sees and sees as only Jesus can. He sees the name. He sees the need. He saw the way to visit with Zacchaeus. We are not always graced with such spiritual insight, though sometimes we are. Don't count it out that the Holy Spirit might reveal something to you, might give you a word. He does. But at the absolute least, we can walk through our days with eyes open to the hurting of the world and the hurting of others. Who is lonely? Who is need of encouragement? Who's going through treatment? Who is grieving? Who is depressed? Who is anxious? Who, who seems far from God and in need of the love of God? Who does not seem whole and is in need of healing? Uh, folks, we are in that category sometimes. Your families are in that category. The world is in that category. We can go throughout our day, whatever that day may hold, with intention and eyes to see and ears to hear, spirits to sense where the Zacchaeuses of the world are. And many of them, the spirit is already at work in, and they in some way have climbed up a tree and are waving a flag to the world. I am hurting and I need something, anyone, to be the love of Jesus to me. We just have to spot the flags. Jesus lived with intention. He, he saw and he cared enough to say something. Now, this is where we might break from Jesus a bit. If you find someone is in hurting, you might not say, hey, I'm coming over to your house tonight. See you there, you know. That may be a little bit right impetuous. Jesus could do those things. I'm not so sure that should be our first way to move in the world. But, but we can invite to our place. Next week, we'll talk about Jesus, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking. And the power of sharing table, the power of sharing food together is real. The Spirit is there. We can meet for coffee. We can meet for a drink. We can share lunch. You can invite to church. You can just stop what you're doing in the middle of the busy day, even in a place like HEB, and just have a deeply meaningful conversation with someone. He lived with intention. He, he cared enough to see, and he cared enough to, to make the connection, to, to say something, to, to ask something. And again, it gave the Holy Spirit room to work. It gave Jesus opportunity for the love of Jesus to, to come into that life. Intention, caring enough to see. So often, friends, don't we live with blinders to the needs of the world, <laughs> to really what anything is going on outside of what's kind of on our to-do list that day? We have blinders of busyness. I mean, busyness is fine. We live busy lives. That's okay. But if it causes us to miss the wider world, what God's go what's going on, what God may be inviting us into, that becomes sin. It becomes idolatry. We have of blinders of our own self-concern and responsibility and everything that, that we've got to get done. Blinders of routine sometimes. How often do you leave one place and go to the store or go to work or, or go home and you just kind of have it on autopilot and you get there and you're like, how did, how did I end up here? You know, not really quite that. I mean, I pay attention when I'm driving. Don't worry. But we have routines in our life that we just walk through and everything that's not on the front of our mind is just kind of zoned out. 
And it means we fly right by any number of people, any number of situations, any number of ways the Spirit might be moving in our world. Through prayer and through intention, these are blinders we remove so that God might work in our midst. Praise be to God, church. Jesus has come seeking and saving the lost. Jesus has come seeking out those who were hurting in this world and offering them healing, offering them salvation. We both receive this great news, incarnation in action, and are graced to participate in this healing work every moment that we are alive. So go out this week, friends, with eyes open and ears listening and souls, spirits searching who God may place in your path this week. What, what need, what hurt God may awaken your soul to. Care enough to see. Make a connection and give the Spirit of God room to work in your life. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you have come to us and we are not finished products by any stretch of the imagination, none of us, God, but we're not where we were. And we are saved by your grace. We are forgiven by your great mercy. Help us to adopt that same posture to not to be served, but to serve, to, to go out into our lives and seek those who are lost, just like you have done for us, God. Awaken our hearts to the needs of this world and where you may be leading us to serve. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor, Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.